Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. Happy Valentine's Day. Do you remember your first crush? I do. Her name is Kristen. That's right. I remember nothing else. Or I'm not allowed to. But back when I was in grade school, if you had the courage, you would write a note on a piece of paper and somehow figure out a way to get it to the person you liked. You may have one of your friends do it. You may try to slip it into their book bag. You may even try to put it into the trapper keeper. Anybody remember the trapper keeper? I saw it come back. The, I saw it at Target or something the other day. I was like, I forgot about that word, trapper keeper. Not sure where, where, why it's called a trapper keeper. But, but the note was, was just pretty simple, typically simple. I like you. Do you like me? Check yes, no, or maybe so. Because that's right, you always had to leave a little wiggle room in the request. For some of us, this was our first venture into the world of contracts. We would either send this request or we would receive this request, and we would have to decide what our response to the agreement would be. Some would say... Some of the notes would say, will you be my girlfriend or boyfriend? Or will you go out on a date with me? But the process was the same. The question was a request for an agreement. And as we got older, the agreements only got more frequent and more intense. Maybe your parents had you sign certain agreements or follow certain guidelines. Anybody have guidelines as kids that you imposed on your own kids after you promised you would never be like your parents? And I have written contracts with my girls. Yes, written contracts. Because sometimes those are necessary. We would get our driver's license and it required our willingness to comply with state laws of driving. We would get our first job and we would agree to show up on time and many times adhere to a dress code or wear a uniform. I was not afraid of my Burger King uniform. I liked it. And we would follow certain procedures on how the Whopper was to be made. We would go to college, and there would be codes and ethics and papers to write that you had to write them a certain way. There were parking space agreements, class covenants, financial and scholarship agreements. Covenants and agreements are pretty important in our life. Agreements keep us safe on the road. Glad people have agreed to abide by certain laws in America. Agreements keep our businesses efficient. Agreements bring clarity. 
and agreements keep people honest. Imagine a world without covenants and agreements. There'd be confusion. There'd be anarchy, chaos, zombie attacks, alien invasions. All of this happens when there's no agreements. But let me state something you may or may not have ever considered. God works by agreements. Yes, God is all-powerful, and God is all-knowing, and God is everywhere, but God chose to accomplish His work and His will in our world by agreements. Agreements with humanity. God chose to fulfill His desires through agreements and covenants that He would make with humanity humanity. Let me say this very clearly today. It takes humanity partnered with God to accomplish the will of God. It takes humanity partnered with God to accomplish the will of God. God does not accomplish his will alone. He does it by agreement with Humanity. And God's agreements are always slanted towards us getting the better end of the deal. Let me just state that. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. We didn't deserve it, but he gave it to us in the agreement. But God chose to make an agreement with the first humans created. It was a covenant that was clear and simple, but it still was an agreement. Genesis 2.15, the Lord took man, put him in the middle of the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. God immediately starts his relationship with man with an agreement, a simple agreement. I give you this incredible paradise, and I give you eternal life, and you simply don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And if you break this covenant, if you break this agreement, it will cause death to take the place of life. All you have to do is agree to these terms, and you get paradise and eternal life. God is a God of covenant and agreement. An agreement is unnecessary unless it can be broken. If I can do anything I want and it doesn't matter and has no ill consequences, then what would be the point of a covenant? God is a God of covenant. He sets boundaries and parameters. And he certainly did with the first man, Adam. But why give Adam boundaries? Why give humanity choices? Because true love was at the heart of God's nature and God's desire. Love is not love unless it is by 
choice. So love required a covenant, meaning it required the possibility of being broken. God's relationship with humanity and his desire to love humanity would cause him to give us the opportunity to break his covenant or to love him in return. And it was an agreement. Not only did God create a covenant with humanity, hear me now, but from the beginning, God set up a covenant that would be the, one of the most sacred covenants that humanity would have with each other because it would reflect God's covenant with humanity. So God planted that tree and he told him not to eat of it. Verse 20, so God or Adam gave names to the cattle, but it says Adam couldn't find a helper. He needed help. And so the Lord, verse 21 of chapter 2 says, God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. He slept. He took one of the ribs, Adam's ribs, closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, because of this, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Here, God illustrates at the beginning his desire to be inseparable to humanity. So God creates a relationship structure that would embody his care for humanity. And just as the woman came from the man, humanity came from God. And just as the woman was similar but different than man, so was humanity similar but different than God. And just as the man and woman would become one through a covenant relationship, so God would become one with humanity through a covenant relationship. And I would suggest today that marriage is one of God's most sacred human covenants. We had a wedding this Friday with Ethan and Brittany, and I say pretty much the same thing at every wedding when it comes to this. Marriage is an honorable state, instituted of God, and regulated by his commandments for the welfare of mankind. It is the object lesson of the union which exists between Christ and the church. Let us therefore reverently remember that God has established and sanctified marriage. In Ephesians, God tells us this about marriage. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without 
blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He hearkens back to the garden. And Paul said, this is a great mystery, but I am speaking concerning Christ and the church. You see, marriage is to be the reflection of God's love for humanity. And thus, it should be lived in a way that exemplifies God's love for us and our love for him. Marriage is sacred. Jesus would say of marriage... But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh, so then they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. God wanted his creation to be in a relationship, to be in a covenant in such a way as to truly reflect his own love towards humanity. And it would be an agreement, a covenant that was never intended to be broken. Now fasten your seatbelts for just a moment. There may be turbulence ahead. Marriage is God's picture and reflection of what his intended covenant relationship with humanity and therefore with humanity and therefore is the most sacred of all human relationship covenants. Specifically, sexual expression within the context of this covenant relationship called marriage is God's design for fulfillment and fruitfulness as a result of the relationship. I would suggest that this is why God opposes in his word, his blueprint for our lives, anything that distorts or disturbs that image of God's relationship with humanity. Therefore, God's word tells us that sexual expression is one of the most important litmus tests of our marriage covenant. God's word says that adultery, where sexual expression is with someone other than your spouse and it's hidden from them, distorts the image of God. It distorts the image of God's relationship with humanity. So he says that we shouldn't do it. Might I add today in our culture that an open relationship where sexual expression is with someone other than your spouse but is known and encouraged by the other spouse still distorts the image of what God intended for his relationship to be with humanity. And any sexual relationship 
and expression. Outside of biblical marriage, marriage between one man and one woman distorts the image of God's relationship with humanity. Sexual expression should reflect what we understand of God. That God was fully committed to humanity. And that God was different than humanity. And God's relationship was with humanity was an act of the will. This then is the basis for God's clear boundaries on sexual expression in the Bible. Sexual desire is powerful, and it's powerful because it is at the core of God's image and love for humanity. In the Old Testament, God used the prophet's marriage to demonstrate his unwavering love for humanity. And he showed us what humanity's sin really looks like in context to God. In Hosea 1-2, it says, When the Lord began to speak to Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take yourself a wife of harlotry a prostitute, a ch- and children of the prostitution. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. I will not read anymore, but you can read on your own. It's a story about a marriage gone wrong. And God shows us the picture of what a marriage shouldn't look like. But ultimately, he shows us a picture of what God's love really looks like. He's committed to us till the end. And in the New Testament, God uses the Apostle Paul to say in 1 Corinthians 6.15, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot or a prostitute? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Jesus would go further to say, you have heard that it was said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He's saying still even our thoughts that go wayward still do not reflect and honor God's relationship with humanity. And let me just add that even withholding sexual expression in a biblical marriage relationship is contrary to God's intention because it again is a distortion of the reflection of God's relationship with humanity. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 7, 1, Now concerning things of which you wrote to me, it is good for man not to touch a woman. This is saying man and woman 
should refrain from sexual expression outside of a marriage relationship. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for time that you may give yourselves to prayer and fasting and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of of self-control. And all the married couples said amen. Amen. Sexual expression is intended to reflect the joy, selflessness, and the fruitfulness that God shows humanity. And in return, his desires for humanity to have those same feelings of joy, selflessness, and fruitfulness towards him. Is it any wonder that the loudest voices, and dare I say the soundtrack of hell in our culture through media, entertainment, government, and education, keep repeating over and over and louder and louder, did God really say? Because God understands and Satan understands the reflection, the power of marriage and what it demonstrates to us. Well, now that I have your attention, let me share with you my real message. Nothing like preaching on Valentine's Day. I think I have seven years. Anthony, is it right? Seven years before the next Sunday of Valentine's Day. Here's what I want us to understand. God chose to accomplish his plan and purpose through a covenant. Now we know that humanity didn't hold up to their end of the covenant. But God would not give up on humanity. After Adam and Eve sinned and humanity spun out of control, God said, I want to keep making an agreement, a covenant with humanity. So he found Noah. And he made an agreement. And God said to him in Genesis 6, Behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, Noah. And you shall go into the ark, you and your sons, your wives, and your sons' wives with you. I want to have a covenant with humanity. And the floodwaters came, and they come out of that, those eight souls. And God says to them, I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the rainbow shall be in this cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature on all flesh that is on the earth. God said, I want an agreement with humanity 
because that's how I work in the world. That's how my will is going to be accomplished. But again, humanity broke its covenant with God. So God found another man, a man named Abram. And God said to him, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I'm going to make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I'll make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And once again, God says, I, ha- I want to make a covenant with humanity. And so God created a family, a family that, yes, was definitely broken, a family that had some distorted times and some troubled ways, but God builds them into a people, and they move into a place, and the enemy comes and oppresses them for 400 years, but God said, I'm going to remember my covenant that I made with Abraham, and he sees their pain, and he hears their cry, and so he raises up a man named Moses, and he said, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, Lord, I was not known to them, but I have established also my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I also heard the groanings of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, but I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And he said, I will take you as my people. I'll not just scatter you to the wind, but I want an agreement. I want a covenant with you. You won't just be any people. You'll be my people, and I will be your God then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And so God brings them out of the land, but he doesn't just leave them to wander. He said, I'm actually going to give you an identity. You're going to be my people, and I'm going to give you a law that allows you to know the boundaries and the parameters so you can be everything you need to be. And I could walk you through the entire Old Testament and show you a God of covenant and show you a God of agreement. It would be Joshua who would cross the Jordan with a covenant and agreement. It would be judges that would be raised up and reminded of the covenant that God had with his people. It would be kings who would be reminded of God's covenant. It would be priests who would be reminded of God's covenant. And prophets would come along and God would remind him of his covenant with his people. And while man kept breaking the covenant and God's people kept breaking the covenant, God said, no, I'm not giving up. I made a covenant and I'm going to be true to my word. And so God, in his infinite wisdom, says, you know what? I will make a covenant of all covenants, and I will make an arrangement of all arrangements, and I will again make a covenant with humanity because I have chosen to accomplish my will through the human race. And each time man kept failing, but God never gave up. Man, man and humanity would try to manufacture the promise, but God said, no, I'm going to keep my covenant. Humanity would distort the agreement, but God said, I'm going to keep my covenant. Humanity would mess up everything, but God said, I'm going to hold true to my covenant. 
However, this time, I will create a covenant of love through humanity that cannot be broken. He says, I will create an agreement with humanity that is unstoppable. And so the apostle John said it like this. The word was made flesh. And the apostle Paul said it like this. God was manifest in the flesh. Why? Because God chose to work his will through humanity. And so that's why the prophet said, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Oh, hallelujah. And so God sends an angel to Joseph, Mary's betrothed husband and she he told joseph she mary will bring forth a son and you shall call his name jesus and for he will save his people from their sins so all of this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the lord through the prophet saying behold a virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name emmanuel which is translated god with with us. And so God with us, Jesus Christ, the human, became the ultimate covenant and agreement with humanity. He would become the substitute for your sin and my sin. He would become the picture of the Old Testament spotless lamb, and he would stand in place of our sins. He would become the mercy seat. He would become the blood that was poured out. He would become the high priest that stood in the gap he would become the living bread in the tabernacle he would become the light of the world he would become the tabernacle in the wilderness he would be the veil that was ripped into why but because he's saying i want to have a covenant with humanity He would become the king of kings. He would become the lord of lords. He would become the door to the kingdom. And he said, I'll become a new covenant. And so the writer of Hebrews said, and for this reason, he is, Jesus is, the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Jesus Christ became that new covenant with humanity. And he would become the name that signs our eternal agreement. And no longer do we stand before God as just lost and wayward and broken because of our sins. But no, Jesus steps in front and says, I'll sign my name in blood. 
And so you and I, all we have to do is be in agreement with who Jesus is. And that's the gospel message. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. And so I repent of my sins. I'm baptized in his name, and I receive the gift of his spirit because it brings eternal life. I've got an agreement with God. I want somebody to understand you have an agreement uh, with God. Hallelujah. And Jesus stands in front and he signs and says, I'll forgive, I'll heal. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we might be saved. There's one stipulation to the agreement. You get to check yes, no, or maybe. You decide how you want the agreement to work because God is not going to force his love on you but he gives you the opportunity to say yes. Yes to his will. Yes to his way. Yes to his plan. Yes to his forgiveness. Yes to his mercy. And yes to his grace. And let me tell you, we always get the better end of that deal. You and I don't have to hang on a cross. You and I don't have to shed our blood, but we just get to say yes uh, to his invitation. We get to just say yes uh, to what he's calling us to. Oh, hallelujah. So the apostle Peter, under the anointing of the spirit of God, would call us and say we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that we might proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I love what it says, who, were, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Just a simple agreement. I agree with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I accept his call to repentance. I accept his call to surrender my life for his life. And so I repent. I accept his call to take on his name in baptism, to no longer just represent my filthy self, but to represent him to receive and be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So what does your agreement with God look like? God slipped you a note and said, do you like me? Yes, no, or maybe. Not sure what you'll say. Do you love me? Yes, no, or maybe. What's your agreement with God? Second Corinthians, Paul said, in what agreement has the temple of God with idols? 
for you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. What does your agreement with God look like? I close today. There are three times that I suggest you sign that agreement with God. Three times. First time you sign your agreement with God is when you say amen to the word of God. When you hear the word of God and when you read the word of God, somebody preaches the word of God and you say, you know what? I'll say amen. Amen means even so, let it be. Let it be in my life. My life may not look like what the preacher's preaching about today, but I'm going to say amen because that's what I want my life to look like. So I call you today to say amen. I love this church because we're not prohibited from saying amen. We're not prohibited from shouting out and saying amen. But I found out that when I say amen, now for some of you, you're going to stay where you are. You're going to stay in your lane. And that's okay. Stay in your lane. But I encourage some of you to, to whisper a little more, to say a little more amen. Because when you say amen, you're grabbing hands with the word that's being spoken and saying, I agree. I'm in covenant with what is being said. On Tuesday night when evangelist David Bryan began to tell that story about that Pakistani girl in the middle of a Muslim crowd, she began to cry out to God and God filled her with the Holy Spirit and people started touching her and being filled with the Spirit and over 400 people in that moment began to be filled with the Spirit in a crowd of uh, over a thousand people. When he began to say that, I said amen, I stood up because I wasn't just trying to encourage him. I was saying in my spirit, God, I want that. I need that. I want that at Calvary. And so I said, amen. I need it in my life. And so I encourage you to just say amen, to just say amen. Lift your hand and say, I agree with that preacher. I need that in my life today. Somebody say amen. The second way that we connect with God, you can stand Another time we sign an agreement with God is at an altar. When you look at the Old Testament, those covenants with God happened at altars, happened in moments of sacrifice, moments of surrender, moments of bowing knees and saying, God, I can't do this without you. And I surrender everything to you. We have this altar here today. We have an altar for you to come to. There's nothing necessarily sacred about our nice purple carpet and four stairs. But what it is, it's a declaration for us. It's a positioning of our hearts to the things of God. And so when I preach to young people and preach to children, 
I had a Sunday school teacher tell me you can always get something from a message no, how, no matter how bad it is. And I'm glad for that. Glad for you guys. So I've always made it a habit that I come to an altar because it's my response to God to say, you know what? I am in agreement with you, Lord. No matter if I feel like I'm good or bad, I'm in agreement with your word today and I bow my knee and I bow my heart to say, God, I'm desperate for you and I need you. Some of you need an altar today. You need an altar where you bow your heart and you bow your knee and surrender to God because where we're going in the next weeks and months, uh, some of you are desperate and you need an altar to experience the revival that God is wanting to pour out in your life. You need a moment of sacrifice, a moment of surrender. And I conclude today, at the end of the day, you need action in your life. That's where you sign. You see, Noah, Noah didn't just say amen and build an altar. Noah actually built an ark. Abraham didn't just acknowledge God and say amen and build an altar. No, he stepped out from the earth of the Chaldeans. And he listened to God's voice and went where God told him to go. He took his son up a mountain. It was action. Hebrews calls it faith. And it's action. So today, I don't know what action you need in your life. I don't know what decisions you need to make in your life. But you can make an agreement with God. Some of you need to add some things to your life. You need to add prayer, fasting, giving and reading your word. You need to add those things to your life. Some of you need to subtract some things from your life. There's action that happens because of subtraction. Some of you need to cut some things out of your life because your agreement with God is shaky. You find it always in turmoil, tossed to and fro. Today, with an amen, with an altar, and with some action, I guarantee you, there's a God who's begging begging you to be in relationship with him and he's made a way he's given you a way and he's given you a name that is above every name so in this moment I want to pray in just a moment I'm going to invite those who want to come I want you to come but I want to pray for you in this moment Lord right now you know where we stand today you know where we stand if we were to ask the question What does our agreement with you look like? Some today would say they don't have one. God, and I pray that you would show them your incredible love for them. Show them, God, that the best things that you have for them are gonna happen when they say yes to you. God, there are some who have a maybe agreement with you They have portions of their life that are in agreement with you, but there's some things they have not completely surrendered to you. And I'm praying today that you would give them courage in this place. Because, Lord, you're calling us to a yes with you. Because you know how you framed us. You know how you made us. You know how the enemy distorts and disturbs, God, your image in this world. And I'm praying... God, that someone would have the courage to say yes to all you have for them in the name of Jesus. I encourage somebody to step out of your pew today and just say, God, I'm in agreement with you. 
This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.